This month, we journey to some very marginal places. We'll hear a special interview with mission partner Helen Burningham, who was dramatically evacuated from South Sudan, and we'll hear from a church community in southern Chile. But first we head for Nepal and meet Ram Prasad Shrestha, a CMS Timothy mission partner for many years, who leads the National Mission Commission of Nepal. Lisa Lewis of CMS met him on a CMS encounter trip recently. The team went to see Ram's projects in a slum area of Kathmandu, and that's what Lisa asked him about first. We have uh, three centres uh, in slum where we uh, have three uh, places. We gather children and we have been teaching them. At one place we have around 70 to 80 children and next place we have around 20 children and in third we have around 15 children and all of them, all of those three uh, centres, we have a staffs where our staffs are uh, teaching them and providing food every day and we have been providing educational materials so at the same time we are reaching out to them, to their parents and now by the grace of God we have been able to plant church in that community. And so how many people do you think live in that slum area? In that one we slum to? there are around two thousand people and next slum there are around three thousand and are these all people from the city or are they people who maybe have come in from the country looking for work and not been able to find jobs how how do people end up in a slum community uh they have come from different parts of nepal uh the reasons vary because we had a 10 years of civil war and maoist rebel forced villagers to join them and fight with the army and they were terrorized many people were killed and just to escape from that danger they came to Kathmandu and they didn't have place to stay so they end up staying in slum and there are people who come to look for a job and they don't have proper job they can't feed themselves because of lack of job food they come and stay in, in slum. There are several untouchable people. They are jobless. They don't have any income. They don't have... They are landless people. So they come here and they just live by the uh, riverside. And they are just living, you know, collecting uh, plastic, collecting rubbish. And they shell things in the market. And they do all cleaning things. You know, whatever job they find. So they, are, they end up staying in slum. And what opportunities are there for children in the slum? If your organisation wasn't there, if the school and the school's projects wasn't there, what would happen to those children? Uh, before we started this uh, slum project, uh, we went to slum community and we saw uh, many children wandering around, collecting uh, plastics, uh, playing with the rubbish, not going to school. They were involved in drugs lot of bad things and we felt very uh, pity and we thought of starting an education centre. So if we did not start education centre then uh, that most of the children would not have chance to go to school and the many uh, children would have been in drugs and sexual abuse, even in crime. But since we have been running our slum school since seven years and now uh, 80% of children, they go to school uh, in government school 
uh, now their parents are educated how to look after the children, how to provide education. And besides uh, providing education, we also have frequently a seminar on health issues, HIV, AIDS, sexual abuse, human rights, all those things. So I see if we didn't start this uh, slum, uh, many uh, slum children would have in trouble. So something else that you've been working on at the moment is church planting. Yes. So let us know how, how that's going, what's new, where, what, what, are you, what you're up to at the moment with church planting. Uh, we have supported and sent uh, more than 100 missionaries and they are working in very remotest part of Nepal and uh, it's very very difficult because recently this guy, he's recently graduated from our training center and he went, he was alone with his, uh, like he was only family when he went to uh, that unleashed area and he's been reaching out to the people but he is finding very difficult because People are very much fundamentalistic uh, Hindu people. They would not like to hear about Jesus Christ. But he has been constantly reaching out to them through prayers, through miracle, through the healing. Now, uh, he says that he has got a few believers in his fellowship. So there are several stories we can hear. Uh, but they, despite their hardship, persecution, they continue serving the Lord. Now we have one missionary, Kapil Dev, who works in India, Bihar. Mm -hmm. And uh, last year I went to baptize. I baptized four believers. So now he has been able to plant a church there. So now he's been asking me to go there to do an evangelistic meeting and also baptize uh, eight uh, people that are ready to be baptized. So. There is a hardship, but they have been continuously serving the Lord and they are reaping the fruits uh, harvest. Give thanks for all Ram's many missionaries throughout Nepal and beyond and pray for them all, most in very remote and often hostile situations, that they would, as Ram said, be able to run with the Spirit of the Lord. Now we meet Latin partner Joel Miangia. Communications intern Tyler Overton spoke to Joel over the phone in southern Chile where he's leading a church and two church plants or missions in and around the city of Temuco. CMS's Andy Bowman gives us Joel's words in English. Tyler first asked Joel about the church community he leads and the two missions outside the city. The church is in its 40th year here. Most of the people who go are from a working-class background. We have a variety of people in our church. There are young people and young married couples. But we also have quite a few middle-aged and older people. I think about 15% of the community fits that demographic. We're a church with a strong desire to work, very enthusiastic and collaborative. And people have really gelled with each other during the time we've been here. We're also responsible for two missions outside the city of Temuco. So what I've done is ask some of our brothers and sisters from our church to visit these missions so that they receive two visits from us per month. These missions are just small communities with their chapel, but they've been there over a long while the idea is to be able to help them with the preaching of the word and by visiting. I also help them by administering communion each time I go 
because they don't have a pastor. And in that sense, I'm responsible for them. And they're rural communities too. All of the people who go to these mission churches are of Mapuche origin. Then Hoel told Tyler about recent developments in church life and new opportunities for mission. Well, with regard to our community, with regard to the church and our internal situation, I think we're still in a time of getting to know the life of the church and looking towards the future. One of the goals I've proposed for us is growing in our knowledge of the word. I've really emphasized Bible studies. As a part of that, we want to grow and believe we can grow numerically. We're focused primarily on those two areas, in growing in the knowledge of the Word of God so that that can produce numerical growth, which, thank God, we've also been experiencing. Our church is also still in a period of transition from one pastor to another pastor. But there aren't big conflicts or problems within the community. There's a good church council which is willing to work together and fulfills its responsibilities. There's also a pastoral team which advises me in the more practical aspects of the life of the church and on spiritual matters. They're very motivated and enthusiastic about continuing our work. I think we've had some good opportunities we can keep growing internally in our spiritual lives, but there's also a good opportunity to keep growing and take the gospel to the areas where we work, primarily because there's an apartment block that's going to be built across from our church. Some 200 families, or 400 or 500 people, are going to be living there. So there's a good challenge to take the gospel to this area. And that's exactly where we've aimed our work in the church this month. Finally, we hear how we can pray for Joel. Yes, I think personally, if you could keep my life in the ministry in your prayers, so that I can always rely on the grace and the wisdom of God to guide the church, which, after all, belongs to Christ. As I said, we haven't had big problems or difficulties, but a lot of the time, difficulties and conflicts come along eventually. Often, the ministry is very lonely, despite the fact that here all the pastors from the region meet for breakfast and prayers on Fridays. But even so, the ministry is a bit lonely. So my prayer in this respect is that I can always rely on God's favour. With regard to my family, I'd like to ask for prayer especially for my children. We have three kids, Matthias, who's 18, Lucas, who's 15, and Eunice, who's 12. Lucas and Eunice are in school, and Matthias is in his last year of high school right now, so he's looking for a job. I'd like to ask for prayer for Matthias, and all of them, that they never drift away from the Lord. Being young and a teenager can be a bit difficult, so pray that they always take the Lord into account in their lives. Joel also asks prayer for his family's housing situation. They've now moved into the vicarage, which is really too small for their family, so they're seeking the means to extend it. Let's pray for the family in their housing situation, and especially for the outreach into the new apartment development Joel mentioned. Now we turn to Africa, and mission partner Helen Burningham. 
Early in 2014, she took up her first mission partner placement in a remote corner of South Sudan, seconded to the organisation across. But just a few weeks later, she was suddenly evacuated as her town was under threat of imminent attack. This interview is just a little longer than usual, so we could hear more of Helen's sobering yet hopeful story. Six weeks in, you were evacuated. That sounds like an extraordinary experience, a horrible experience. Um, But also, after all that time of planning, raising money, raising prayer support, getting organised, getting trained, all of that to go to the place where... You know, you and CMS thought that God was calling you. What on earth goes through your mind when suddenly you're torn out of that situation? I think that first you think of yourself and that this is actually happening. It's not a dream. It is reality and you are not going back. This is the end of that dream that you had. You touched it, but that doesn't matter. It's now a new story. Real life hits home and you have to get on with it and move forwards, uh, not knowing quite what forwards means. And then for me, I also thought about the community I was leaving behind because I felt quite selfish um, being the one that was in a plane, being taken out of a bad situation where there was people on the ground that couldn't do that. And knowing that there was people I was slowly getting to know what was going to happen to them, were they going to be safe? So I felt it wasn't just what's the future for me, but also what's the future for the people I've just left. And if my future is bad, I have nothing in comparison to people who are running away from their homes. They're going to be internally displaced people. They're going to be in a lot of poverty. Where's education? Where's their health? Where's development? And just that also comes into play as you think about the future for yourself, but also those that you're leaving behind. Tell us what happened, if you will. Yeah, it was actually a public holiday on the day. So I was relaxing in my room, but I knew that something was up. We had had a few various meetings where we were told to have lights low and get a emergency pack ready just in case we have to run. Um, So I already knew that the situation was not normal, but I was carrying on as best as I could. But on the day of being evacuated, I remember hearing my manager say, everyone, you need to pack your bag. If you've got your emergency bag ready, you need to get into the car. A plane is on its way. And I remember thinking why are we leaving now I don't want to go I haven't really got much ready Uh, what's in my bag I need to recheck it have I got time where is the plane taking me I had none of that information I just needed to get ready and go Um, and I found that hard I couldn't say goodbye to people who I wanted to say goodbye to Um, what was going on why was it so imminent so emergent that I had to leave Um, I was quite flustered and stressed and my anxiety levels were high but I had to get on with it I had to be logical and practical and get out Um, when we got to the airstrip I remember saying goodbye to two of my language teachers which was amazing I didn't think I would see them uh, in the time that I had to get out but I was able to see them which was really great for my healing and for my 
uh, moving forwards. Uh, goodbyes are very important, and I was able to say at least goodbye to the people who had had an impact on me in the time that I'd had there. Um, and getting on the plane and knowing that there was a few staff members we'd left behind or I was wondering what was going to happen to them. Um, the night before, there had been gunshots heard and even though it hadn't been to do with the attack, it was still uh, quite distressing to hear those sounds, wondering what they were. Um, and then leaving and going in the air um, and and just being like, I'm thankful that I'm alive, but also where am I go what's going to happen but you know at that time you just your your head is just kind of right one day at a time so um, you're in a tiny plane now mission aviation yeah, fellowship plane yeah or? I think it was um a small yeah. kind of emergency plane I can't remember which one but actually something even quite distressing in that moment on the plane we were going in the air and I came across a really strong foul smell and I asked someone afterwards what that was, and they had said that the the army that had attacked the town close to Boma, uh, the smell that I was smelling was actually dead bodies. So I knew that those people that had done that were coming to my, my city. And just to smell that smell of death, uh, it was very in my face. The smell of it and the, the sounds of it, uh, it, it was something I won't ever forget. But um, I, I'm grateful to hear that the people, things have moved forward since that time. And the SPLA, so the South Sudanese Liberation Army, have now taken back South Sudan from the rebel group David Yao Yao. So it, it is... That was who attacked your area? Yeah, so David Yao Yao, South Sudan Democratic Army, they attacked the city Boma, uh, the little town, to be honest. It's very, very small. Um, so I think order is now slowly coming, but the land of South Sudan, is there's so much political unrest uh, and tribal conflicts, the children, the young people. There's so much um, history of war and uh, trauma and violence. But there is obviously positive... Uh, slow movements in in a good direction but to be in a land where there is no peace you really see the the real harsh reality of life uh something yeah you know it, it's really distressing and sad for the people that li i can move out but some people don't have that opportunity now you've found yourself in uganda i work with crane children at risk action network and it's something Sorry. called Creative Learning Centres. What are they? Yes. So Crane, part of what they do is work with girls to help them go back to school. There are 20 Creative Learning Centres in and around Kampala that are there to support girls that are not in school. And they go to these centres and there are terms of three months where they will receive basic numeracy and literacy as well as life skills and tailoring skills and through that three-month period they are encouraged nurtured and also supported to go back to mainstream education so the creative learning centers are there to support the girls to actually reintegrate back to school what do you see as your particular role or contribution that you're bringing when i was um in the uk i 
I have also got my education. I realised the benefit and the importance of education. And when I meet with the girls, I not only share with them the importance of it, but through my actions, I also teach workshops uh, using physical games and activities to get them to be motivated. And you also run dance workshops at these uh, creative learning centres. How does that go down? So when I share with the girls that I will be teaching a dance workshop, smiles normally come on their faces as they stand up and start moving and you see girls that are a bit withdrawn, hunched shoulders... They suddenly come to their feet and you see a a girl who's now confident and they enjoy being together as well. And uh, it's a way of getting to know their fellow students as well. And they really enjoy that time period. And in those sessions, we learn a bit of English through learning the lyrics of the songs and the songs that I use are positive so it helps them not only with physical exercise but also with mindset and um, in inspiring them to really focus and persevere for what is rightfully theirs their education so that they they can be focused and yeah move forward so with with these workshops I really hope that the lyrics of the songs will motivate them to be all that they can be. And certain girls in particular do uh, stand out to me. There's uh, one girl who has learning disabilities and one of her arms is paralysed. And I did some dance workshops with her and every time that I'm there, she's always the first to follow the moves to she shows real active engagement in the sessions and even though some of the movements might be hard for her she'll find a way of making it her own and seeing her come alive has been um, a real highlight for me. Helen Burningham on her very different experiences in South Sudan and Uganda as a CMS mission partner. Give thanks that she's found a suitable outlet for her gifts and pray for her as she continues to come to terms with those events. Let's pray too for peace in South Sudan. Our reflection comes from the Bishop of Durham, the Right Reverend Paul Butler, who has a long association with CMS and was formerly our Chair of Trustees. This is a short excerpt from one of his talks on Matthew's Gospel at CMS's 2014 Africa Conference. And here, Bishop Paul focuses on the holistic nature of Jesus' ministries, exemplified by our three very different interviews this month. There is here a rounded wholeness of Jesus' ministries. He went through all the cities and villages. Now, of course, we know, we understand, cities are not quite Beijing with its 30 million or London with its 8.5 million. Cities were simply walled communities that may have only had a few hundred or a few thousand people, although Jerusalem itself was quite large. And villages could be very tiny communities. But... The point that I think Matthew is making is it didn't matter which type of community, Jesus went there. And uh, some of the time he was in the synagogues and some of the time he was proclaiming to crowds. So he was clearly out in the open. So there's the rounded wholeness of Jesus' ministry of where he ministered. He didn't confine himself to particular uh, types of community. He went 
to all types of community. And he engaged in ministry both personally and in larger ways. So there's the wholeness of where Jesus ministered. Then I think there's the wholeness of what Jesus ministered. He taught, he proclaimed, he healed. And he set people free. And it's a simple reminder to me every time I read these kind of words that the gospel of the kingdom is about the whole of life and is, is meeting people at every point of need. And that our ministry has to be about the wholeness of the kingdom, which comes through our teaching. It comes through our proclamation, but it comes through our work of healing and delivering people from evil. And since Jesus offered that kind of whole ministry, then we as the church have to offer that kind of whole ministry. The Right Reverend Paul Butler, Bishop of Durham, closing this month's audio mission. You can listen to all three talks on the CMS website, www.cms-uk.org. See you next time for more interviews with people in mission from all around God's world.